It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. Sunday social show number 156. I'm Bourne Davis, and thank you for spending this wet Sunday night with me and my guests. We've got a humdinger of a show. As always, you can join me virtually. Well, you can try and join me physically, but the security guards here at the News Hub, they're very good. You can join me virtually, text 3920 keyword live, or tweet me at Vaughan Davis, and all that pops up right in front of me in one of the 26 screens right here in my News Hub studio. Later on, Anna Connell with the apps, news, and websites of the week, including some big developments on the Google Maps front, including, and I promise you, a feature that will mean you need never pay for a parking ticket again. First, though, it is the distant future, the year 2000. We are robots. The world is very different ever since the robotic uprising of the mid-90s. There is no more unhappiness. Society has a thing about lawyers. It seems you can't turn on the TV without seeing one suited and booted strutting around the courtroom, saving someone's bacon before the ad break. A particular friend of mine loves lawyers, and possibly the high point of her entire life was trekking across town to meet Mr Gabriel Macht from the show Suits. What a schmuck. Turns out there's an app for that. If our next guest has his way, a lawyer will soon be something you download from iTunes for 99 cents and sit on your phone next to Candy Crush. It's called Robo Advice. It's being pioneered right here in New Zealand by the excellently named Goat Ventures. Mike Schubert joins me today. G'day, Mike. Hey, good day. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've explained the whole thing excellently, haven't I? <laughs> you certainly have. Tell me about Robo Advice. Well, um, I think that it's um, more allowing legal services to be um, provided in an automated way. So what a lawyer does, he uses a knowledge-based learning to analyze documents and come up with suggestion solutions and conclusions. What RoboCop will do is be able to read the documents, analyze them, look at the legal precedents, and come up with suggested conclusions or solutions or suggestions on how one can move forward. So that's what it's all about. So g- give me an example. So what, what sort of problem am I presenting with you know, in, the, in this uh, robo-advising future? What sort of problem am I presenting with to your, your, your law firm, Minter Ellison Rudd Watts, and... And, and what sort of suggestions might, you know, the robo-advisor present? Well, you might be uh, wanting to uh, 
make someone redundant or you might want to be employing someone. So you might go to your lawyer and you might say, hey, look, this individual has misbehaved. We don't get along. How can I get rid of him? And you just speak that into the, or you could theoretically just do that online now, type in those things into the, um, into the application, and then the advice will come out. And, you know, what's, what's the individual's name? What have they done? Let me see the employment contract. Um, how often has this happened? Here's procedurally what you need to do. Here are the implications of what you do, and that can all be automated now. Is it, why is it necessarily a good thing that this be put across to an app or a, or a program or, a, you know, as, as you've named it, a, a, a robot? Are, are humans taking too long? Are humans costing too much? Or are humans making too many mistakes? It's probably an element um, of all of those. I mean, at its core is efficiency. So at the moment, uh, all of these legal services are manual processes in the sense that um, it's a human being that needs to read the documentation, analyze it, and give suggestions. And, of course, human beings won't have all of the information at their fingertips, and it's quite expensive, and it takes a lot of time. The idea is to uh, automate that particular process uh, in legal services. So go, going through this example, so I've, I've got some schmuck that works for me, and, and, and they're, they're grinding my gears. I, I need them gone. I engage with my robo advisor either you know through a, a voice app or, or or through through a keyboard. When the advice comes back to me, has it come or will it have come by way of a human, or will the whole loop just be between me and and your your algorithm? Yeah, look, that really depends, and and uh, it will be different for different people. So uh, another core of legal services is simply the social relationship between two human beings and the interaction between those two human beings. Mm -hmm. And that um, certainly for complex or for important um, decisions or important impacts, I think will remain a human interaction for, for, for many, many years into the future, if not forever. Um, but the thinking behind it can be automated. And that's where artificial intelligence comes in. And it's a, in that sense, it's an efficiency drive. I don't think we will have lawyer robots walking around in the near future advising everybody on legal matters. Uh, there will still need to be strong, trusted relationships and social interaction between human beings. So the example you've given is, is a, a civil law thing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an employment contract. Let's take it to the next level. My 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 employee um, upsets me so much. I decide to you know take a knife to work in my briefcase and let him have it, uh, and it becomes it becomes a criminal law thing. Is is there is there a place in in the future of this of you know of robo advice for criminal law cases? Okay, conceptually, yes. Conceptually, um, law is about taking a body of knowledge, um, learning it, analysing it coming up with um, solutions and uh, recommendations and putting those forward in, a, in, in the criminal case in, a, in an argument in court. And there is no reason why at least selected parts of that process can't be automated. Which, you know, is, is only going to save time, but I guess carries with it the risk of, you know, of, of error due to lack of human oversight? 
Well, it's not to say that there doesn't need to be any human oversight, but if you don't believe the, the algorithm, um, then the courts will presumably have some kind of human oversight over that. But conceptually, um, a, the artificial intelligence is by replicating the way human beings think. So conceptually, one could get to that um, extreme where computers around the world, but I, I don't see that in the foreseeable future. The, the human interaction and the human over, overlay, I think, will remain. I, I guess if, you, if you're talking extremes, you know, if we've got robo-advisors, if, if one gets really good, you know, one gets, uh, one gets promoted to the bench and we've got, you know, robo-judging, which, oh, that actually sounds like a better idea than robo-advice to me. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's a, really a matter for society to look at, isn't it? Um, rather than, than a law firm. The process of analysing um, information and providing legal advice is, is, is one that artificial intelligence, we now have the computing ability, theoretically, to undertake that function. And that's what the joint venture is all about. So, interestingly, you, you, you're probably um, uh, one, one, cup of co one cup of coffee away from uh, avoiding errors like this. Earlier on, you, you, you called your product RoboCop, which, which suggests to me you're a bit of a science fiction fan. Where, 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 did, where did this idea come from? Oh, we, we have a clear technology strategy. Um, we, we, our strategy's got three levels to it. At, at its... At its Base, we want stable technology so that our systems are secure. The next stage, we have optimization, which is really all about um, giving our lawyers access to whatever data they need whenever they need it. And the third is innovation, and that's about how can we make our processes better, how can we use technology to help, um, perhaps how can we create new revenue streams out of technology. And um, this this idea sprung out of that third part of our technology strategy. So I, I get the framework, but but you know who every, every idea has a has a parent, I guess. Whose idea was it, and how did it strike? You know, who who was walking down the street and went, "Yes, robo advisor." <laughs> it's it's not a it's it's part of the innovation group that we have, and so a collection of people had the vision, had the idea to move forward on this. It went to the partnership. We're very keen to be seen as innovative and, and nimble. Um, so we, we have a lot of people who, are, who, who have a good and keen, un, keen understanding of technology. And so it was a collective idea. I mean, that said, that we're not unique here. There, are a lot of, there is a lot of um, investment currently in artificial intelligence applications for law firms globally. Um, and so we're not new in that sense. So, so people listening, this might be the first um, real world, or, you know, it's not in the real world yet, but the first tangible example of artificial intelligence. From your perspective, how, how do you define artificial intelligence? Well, it, it's, it, it's where uh, technology mimics the human uh, mind in solving complex issues. So it, it takes data, it takes uh, things that it's learned, it joins the dots, and it um, forms conclusions. 
I guess w- one of the, the other legs of that stool is, um, you know, human language processing, understanding how we talk rather than just selecting, you know, options from a pull-down menu or, or, or ticking a box. We, we as humans, we, we speak in kind of fuzzy and nuanced ways. And I guess that, that's a challenge if you're offering advice to a client, right, to understand what they're really saying. Absolutely correct. And, and one of the um, people and in, in one of the people we've hired on the artificial intelligence is a, looks exactly in that area. And how do you translate human speak uh, into computer language? And then how do you then translate it back? And, and, and indeed, how do, you, how do you, you know, make sure that that human language is New Zealand language? You know, when my robo-advisor gives me some advice and I say wicked, does he think it's wicked or does he think it's wicked? You know, it's, 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 it's a tricky and interesting subject and we're going to get right back to it after the break, talking to Mike Schubert from Minter Ellison Rudd Watts about robo-advice. Back soon. Sunday Social. And welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis, and, well, I might not be here much longer if uh, if Radio Live gets a robo-advisor on the case and carefully examines my employment contract. I'm speaking to Mike Schubert from Minter Ellison Rudd Watts, a law firm here in Auckland, who are working on something called robo-advice. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you. How hard a sell was this? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking mm, law firms, especially you know law firms with very, very long names like yours, um, I don't see them as nimble, innovative, uh, you know, dynamic companies. I, I, I see them at least in part of, of people who have been there for a long time and, and, and grew up on how it was always done. How hard a sell within the firm was this idea of, of robo-advice? Look, that's a great question, um, and and it took a while to get through the advice, or get 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 um, the partners behind this. But at the core of it, these guys are highly intelligent uh, individuals. Um, they know where their profession has been, but they also know where their profession is heading. And we believe we are an innovative uh, firm, and so when when all the Facts were laid out on the table. Um, we got the unanimous support of the partnership to do this. Uh, I must say that the firm does set aside a sum of money every year just for innovation along the strategy, technology strategy initiatives, and this was the best, uh, the partnership's view, the best use of that uh, innovation budget. Is this, in, in some sense, the the condemned man, you know, uh, building his own gallows? And, you know, you, you kind of you, you're creating a technology that is going to replace a lot of the the work that your people do, huh? And and, and maybe reduce the number of people you employ. Yeah, uh, interesting, very interesting question. Um, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, I don't get the foreseeable future that there will be um, uh, no human being interacting. So there's still a social element which this artificial intelligence won't replace. And so that will remain. But if we are creating gallows um, to hang ourselves, well, I'd sooner be the one building the gallows than someone else building them and sending them to us. So we'd like to be at the head of that game. It's it's, it's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? when you were 
having this discussion about you know whether or not you should adopt the uh, the robo advice project clearly you know you're lawyers right there would have been arguments for the pros and cons what's the worst that can happen what are, what are the downsides of this what worries you because you know you, you're not just it's not utopian well well the main thing that that worries us i guess is we're putting a lot of money aside um to do this and it may not work now that's a two-edged sword if it doesn't work, then uh, perhaps the profession is safe from this robo-advice, but we will have spent a lot of money to, to prove that. So that would be one of the, the issues. The, the other issue is, well, um, you know, there are so many unknowns here and, and uh, so many, I guess, things that we need to sort out as we move along that we don't know if the funding is sufficient or whether we can actually have the capability to do it. So there's a bit of a leap of faith here, a little bit of a leap into the unknown. Um, but having said that, you know, businesses need to have the courage to follow their convictions, and that's what we're doing. You, you talk about a leap into the unknown, and, and one, one thing that kind of interested me a little bit was... Is anyone else in the world doing this? You know, or, or, or is this, you know, um, firm in this, you know, relatively small country at the bottom right-hand corner of the map, leading the world here? Yeah. Look, there's hundreds of millions of dollars being invested in uh, law firm uh, technology and in startups. A little bit less in, art, in the artificial intelligence. Um, space and a little bit less where we have a joint venture uh, uh, arrangement. But we're certainly not alone. This is being done in, in North America, in Europe, and in, in Australia. Um, so we're not alone, but as far as we know, we are the only ones in New Zealand. And um, we, do, we do have strength in that it's a joint venture. Um, rather than trying to keep it all in-house and doing it all, having the law firm do it all by itself. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. So you've, you've um, partnered with the excellently named uh, Goat Ventures. Um, what, was the, what was the thinking behind that and, and what's, what's led you to that approach? Both parties brought uh, a skill that the other party couldn't provide. So we provide the legal expertise and uh, the, preeminence, the preeminent law firm um, and the Goat Ventures have a, uh, an arm called Rush Digital, which is a technology company. So they provide the, the um, technology, the, the artificial intelligence expertise. Um, and again, there's different personalities, which works really well. There's a diversity there that will, we believe, improve the chance of success. So Goat Ventures is a startup company. They're nimble. They make quick decisions. Um, they learn from mistakes, um, whereas the law firm is considered thoughtful, um, you know, um, looks, looks a little bit uh, carefully into the future. And the, the combination of that thought and that expertise, we think, is going to um, increase the prospects of success here. So let, let, let's look at success. Do, do you see success as cutting time and cost out of the business or do you see it as perhaps more people having more access to reliable legal advice it, it'll be both 
So for me, first of all, success is that we build an IT platform that can actually provide legal advice uh, to a number of different applications. So a platform that can take information and, um, and as I've been saying, analyze it and then uh, regurgitate advice or give, give conclusions. That um, platform then could develop a, uh, a number of products. Some of them could be used by law firms to help um, enrich the advice that humans give to other humans. Um, and uh, it would be essentially the same as we're currently doing, um, except perhaps more efficient and, and more cost-effective for clients. The other, some other legal services may be available for people who currently don't use lawyers um, simply because it's cost prohibitive and those individuals could access advice directly um, and, and DIY kind of law. So, so, so where to from here? Um, you know, this this has been public for a couple of weeks, and I'm sure you've been, you know, beavering away or goating away behind the scenes for some time before that. But how, what what are the major milestones now, and and, and how long before I can, you know, um, access that 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 robo legal advice myself as a as a consumer? Well, there's a, there's a lot of steps we need to go. Um, through the first one is to develop a technology strategy on how, how we develop the platform, which is what, what I spoke about um, a little bit earlier, and then what kind of products we need to um, go through. There'll be um, various trials that we'll have. Um, there'll be, funnily enough, a bit like Uber, human intervention. So, so you'll be able to get some advice online, but a lot of it, there'll be a lawyer at the other end of the phone actually mm-hmm. doing the advice as we develop the technology. So there's a lot of work, as you say, to go on before um, there's an actual product. The, the, the JV is funded comfortably for 12 months, um, and we think we will start making good progress in six, six to eight months, and then we will see from there where, where to go. And, and, and at some point in that uh, 12-month roadmap, promise me you're going to reconsider the name robo-advice. For, for goodness sake, I'm an advertising guy, and uh, whew, that could use some work. Well, I'd be very, very pleased if you could suggest some names. We've been bandying a few, few about. I'll, 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 I'll send over my rate card. Hey, um, Mike Schubert from Minter Ellison Rudd Watts uh, talking robo-advice. Thank you so much for joining me on Sunday Social. A pleasure. And you can listen back to that whole entire interview along with all the other interviews we've done here at radiolive.co.nz under Shows and Sunday Social. And, hey, if you can't find it, don't sue me. And if you do sue me, um, well, use a robo-advisor because it sounds like they're a little, you know, little, little way away from being able to take me down. After the break, Anna Connell with the apps and news of the week, including great news if you never want to have to pay a parking fine again. Back soon. It's Sunday Social. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Bourne Davis, and with me all the way from BNZ, Anna Connell, Anna G Connell on uh, on the Twitter. How are you, Anna? I'm good, Bourne. How are you? I'm super well. Point that microphone towards your your snout just a little bit more. I can't. I shouldn't have said snout. It's just the first word that came out. Pull, pull it down. Pull it down. It's very directional. Hey, um, 
we were talking in the break. We were talking in the break about Google Maps. We've all got it, and it just sort of sits here in the background. And we, we use it because you know that one time Apple Maps came out, and people ended up you know parking their cars in the in, in, in the middle of Lake Pupuki. Um But it's it's brought out a couple of quite neat new features this week, or announced them, hasn't it? It has. So. In a release, which I believe is available on iOS and Android by the end of this week, I think, um, is location sharing. So you can now, if you're at a concert or at a conference and there's lots of people around you... If, you, if you're at the Richard Branson dinner and say, oh, you don't have to text and say, oh, say which table are you? I'm at table 22. Exactly. Oh, I'm at table 3. Making mm. life a lot easier <laughs> for the elite. Um, or you're at Adele and you've lost your boyfriend or your best mate. Um, you can now just open up Google Maps and it obviously knows exactly where you are at all times and you can share that location with that person. Which is quite neat. So it, it, it's basically like, um, oh, what's, the, what's that? Uh, there's a website called Saved You A Click. Yes. It? Very funny, very funny, saved you a click. It is. But uh, this is this is, is saving you that click and, sh- and sharing the location with just a particular person for just a particular time, right? Yeah, they're very adamant about the fact that this is obviously not broadcasting your location to the entire world. But, but your phone, but of course, behind the scenes, your phone is broadcasting its location to Google anyway. Well, so, you know. exactly. Um, but they have been um, pretty adamant about the privacy and, and security concerns that people have voiced. And so you select, obviously, who that person is that gets your location. And it's also only for a limited period of time as well. So they, don't, they can't track you for the rest of your life. Although, although, as we were saying again in the break, uh, you know, there's a thing, a thing with a capital T that I've just recently become aware of, where couples, whatever they are, uh, are sharing their location permanently through um, Find My iPhone or, or whatever the um, the Android equivalent is. So they're giving each other their logins. So if, if Vaughan wants to know where Anna is, any time, I don't have to ask you, I just look and blink. Oh, ooh, what's she doing there? It's a feature that you um, activate on your iPhone. Yeah. I think it's called Find My Friends. Right, right. Um, and you can then invite somebody to know where you are and you then also can extend an invitation and ask to know where they are. Now, I've tried to get my partner. So I sent him an invitation saying, you can know where I am. And I only did this form because we were travelling. And so when we were travelling, it made a lot of sense, right? But for the entire trip, he ignored my invitation. And he was sitting right there next to you. Well, yes, but then we would wander off and I would be like, well, find my friends would be very useful right now because I don't know where you are and you're lost. So... But he wouldn't accept the invitation, and he hasn't yet. So as well, far it's, as it's I know, he can still track me, but I have no idea where he is. It's it's one of those it's one of those relationship bridges, really, isn't it? In in, in 2017, uh, because back in the day, back in the day, and speaking of bridges, I, I'm I'm thinking now of the Ponte Vecchio in in Florence. Oh yes, which, which is where I had this conversation with some people I was travelling with. Um, they they told me this great tip. So if we get separated, if we get separated, we'll always meet at the last place we spoke. And you can kind of you can kind of replay your your morning and your afternoon. You remember where the last time time was you spoke. That's where you'll meet if you get lost. That's that's a, that's a that's a. But handy. how do you know where that place is unless you've turned on your Google Maps and? No, I mean spoke. I spoke, <laughs> spoke with spoke with your words. There, there were no Google Maps in those days, Anna Connell. Um, 
but the really interesting thing for me, because I had I had like my first parking ticket in oh I don't know a decade, um, mm. just just the other day. Oh, very good. Well, this wouldn't have helped me actually because I forgot to I forgot to either pay or display, so this wouldn't have helped me. But Google is introducing a feature in Maps which will avoid that, right? Yes, and I really love this one because I went to Albany Mall last weekend and that's a very stressful place and came out and we had completely forgotten where we had parked the car. So now you can essentially kind of use exactly that share your location technology to also mark where you've parked and it will pinpoint you to the exact kind of millimetre of where you are. And, this is the good bit. And if you are in a metered parking situation and you've paid for two hours parking, you can then set a timer on Google Maps and it will alert you when your time has run out. Which is quite neat. So your phone goes buzz, buzz, buzz and you go, oh, I need to go and avoid that uh, that usurious um, $110 admin fee or whatever, enforcement fee, whatever it is. Which is kind of cool. I like it. Um, and another another app, uh, and you know Paul Brislin, of course, he's a regular on the show, just like you. Um, he raves about the Wilson's parking app. He was raving about it just the other day, so I've got to find out about that. We might yeah. do a whole thing on parking. Oh, that'd be great radio. So interesting. It's, well, it is interesting. It is interesting. Unless, you know, unless you're in, um, I don't know, a, 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 a town where parking is not an issue, and I know we go out to those towns, but boy, oh boy, if you're in one of the big cities, uh, finding a park and not getting pinged for overstaying is a big deal, so we might look into that. Uh, video, video. You know, I, I was um, interviewed ooh, five years ago. Five years ago, uh, a journalist said to me, Vaughan, what's the future of social media in 2012? And I said, video. And if they interviewed me this year, I'd probably say, Be futurist. Video. And next year, I'd probably still say, video. But it might be coming true, huh? Oh, definitely. I watch more and more video all the time on social and <clears throat> not just confined to networks like YouTube, it's kind of on Twitter and Facebook all the time as well, and but, I watch way more than I used to there. But, but Apple's Apple's getting very clever. Apple's getting very clever. Yeah, so Apple are introducing a new app called Clips, um, which essentially is an app which you can shoot and make video on, and it's got kind oh, of... Oh, because the world needs another one of those. Well, this one's got, I think, what is a really cool little feature. So obviously you can make and shoot a whole lot of video and things like Instagram and Snapchat, add your filters, do all of that kind of thing. But this one is doing what's called live titles, where essentially it will turn your speech in the video into captions. Now this is more and more important, A, just from an accessibility point of view for people who are hard of hearing, but also because a lot of videos on social media networks play without sound. So Which people, I think is the worst thing in the world. See, I don't. Famine and AIDS and stuff. I don't because I am sitting in an office a lot of the time. Well, no, I'm, sorry, I'm, not, I'm not saying the videos playing without sound is the worst thing. I'm, I'm saying, leaping right ahead, that the people who make the videos not subtitling them. Oh, that's just yeah, irresponsible. That's, that's just bad. That's irresponsible and it's stupid. And it's, ex it's excluding, right? It's awful. Yep. And, it just, and people don't actually stop in a news feed. I know lots of people now who, when they see a video on Facebook, won't carry on watching it unless they know what it's about and they learn that through the text. So clips will turn your speech a video into text and they also claim that um, it can synchronise the text to the cadence of your voice and if you've ever had to go through and do captions for a video uh, and used YouTube's auto captioning it's a really really good thing that 
they are talking about the way that they're doing it as being um, natural to the rhythm of speech. I just hope and it, I hope it works really, really well. When it comes out, I'm going to record myself saying, when you were 66, sex sucks. And I'm going to say that with a New Zealand accent and just see what comes out. No, that will be an that, excellent test that, case. That's the, 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 that's, the, uh, that's the automatic titling shibboleth, I think you could say. Yeah. <laughs> um, Netflix. Now, this 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 seems like um, oh, just had a text from um, someone who calls herself Mum from Lower Hutt saying this is much more interesting. You're doing well, Anna. Thanks, Mum. Um, Netflix, and this seems like a small thing, but it's a big thing. Netflix is changing its rating system, and I, as as I was explaining to you, I've just rekindled my relationship with Netflix thanks to the the free offer through Spark. So you know, if you're a Spark broadband customer out there, or maybe Spark Mobile as well. Spark Broadband, I think. Yep. Uh, you will have received an offer for free Netflix. So I took that up today. And um, the rating system on Netflix has changed. Yeah, so previously it's been stars and you would rate what you'd watched um, on a scale of one to five, five stars being great, one star being crap. But they're actually ditching that in favour of just a simple thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, and it seems like a backward step from um, a data collection point of view, but they've done a lot of work, I think, looking at how those ratings play out for people. And a lot of people are... I read something which said that lots of people give movies three stars because they feel bad totally slating something. Yes, especially in America. Especially in America. Um, So I grew up in the military, as you know, and... I was, I was told the story of American exchange officers, and this was an old story when I was in, so it was pre, you know, um, ANZUS breakup. American exchange officers would come out and they'd get their performance ratings, you know, when they were working in the New Zealand Air Force for, you know, a couple of years. And if you gave them, and it was a one-to-nine system, and if they received anything less than a nine, they'd basically sit in the corner crying because they had to be excellent at everything, whereas we, we all got you know, five, sixes and sevens, and if you got an eight, you'd buy the boss a beer. Exactly. So so, so they're going to a thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, they've done obviously loads of research around this. There's a whole lot of psychology around it, but essentially what they want is for people not necessarily to rate the movie, but to indicate whether or not they enjoyed it or they didn't, because what they want to do then is use that data to show you more of the same kind of thing that you actually like. And the other thing I think that they're also now trying to avoid is that people did a lot of hate rating of um, people like Amy Schumer, for example, people who were making political statements during the election. Look at that. Went through and did ratings of like one across all of her stuff because they didn't like what she was saying. To try and drag it down. Isn't that interesting? Mm. That's Weird interesting. way. How and much you, time have you got on your hands to be doing that? Oh, I know. And, and do, you know, do you know who invented the thumbs up, thumbs down? No. Pandora. Ah, uh, yeah, Who have of been around longer than Facebook and possibly longer than LinkedIn. Who knew? Hey, after the break, the apps of the week, including one, including one, if you're sitting there now, and I, and I know I often do, I often do of an evening, you're sitting there and you're going, oh, how's my sperm count? <laughs> Back soon. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Welcome back to Sunday Social. There are a bazillion apps and websites out there. Most of them are rubbish, but luckily Anna and I have been spending the entire week filtering through the chaff to bring you the wheat. And I'm going to start 
I, I promised the listeners. Um, I promised the listeners, Anna, that I was going to start with the the sperm thing. Mm. Uh, but there's always time for sperm. I find I'm going to start instead with this, and uh, we're doing a bit of an experiment with the audio here. We'll see if it works. listening to is quite possibly my favourite website of the week. It's called Radio Garden. So, just radio.garden. And I didn't I didn't even think a website could be that, Anna. Yeah, it's you can get dot um, garden? a whole lot of different domain. Yeah, well, uh, top level, TLD, top level domain, mm. TLDL. Uh, um, radio.garden, all it is, at its simplest, is Google Earth mashed up with 20,000 streaming radio stations, including this one. So if, if, chance against chance, you are ever, maybe you can't receive radio live and you want to know what's happening around the world of radio, go to radio.garden and you're presented with this globe, this beautiful globe with a whole lot of little dots on it. Every dot is a radio station. You click on it. It takes a while to tune, which is like, which is quite cute. And it just plays. I think it's so random and beautiful and just wonderful. Doesn't the interface look good? Doesn't it, it does. Look good? It, it looks really good. I kind of like the crackling, actually. It's a nice little the, analog The crackling's touch, nice, a yeah. nice thing to have while it's buffering between things. Uh, Radio.garden and, honestly, honestly, 20,000 different radio stations. I was listening to Brussels. I was listening to um, somewhere in the Australian outback. I was even I was even listening to the South Island. That that's how far it goes. That's oh, how far amazing. it goes. It's and it's absolutely impressive. Now speaking of going too far, um, talk me some sperm. Okay, so I was looking for of course you apps were. as per usual, and I came across oh. this app which is called Y O like Yo, but I don't know if that's how you say it. That's what the app's called. I don't, I don't know how yeah, you say it. Yeah, it's called YO. Anyway, Harvard researchers have developed it, and essentially what it does is it turns your smartphone, with the help of a little bit of extra kit, um, into a way to test your sperm. Which, which is kind of quite neat. Uh, so it's, it's doing this, this thing I rather love, which is using technology you already have in your pocket to take the place of expensive you know, medical devices. And I, I met a guy called Hong, actually, from Gisborne. He's a, a, an eye doctor, ophthalmologist. Is that an eye doctor? That sounds correct. I think so. Um, and he developed this thing, which a 3D printed thing, which clipped onto your smartphone to examine your uh, um, retina. Is that ret- retina? Exa- oh, examine yes, your retina, right? right? Yep, yep. Which normally costs, uh, you know, you, you normally have to buy a $50,000 piece of kit to examine some, someone's retina, and he'd done it cheaply. But these, these people with their app Yo have done something similar for sperm, right? They have. So, And it's very, very inexpensive as well. So it's only $4.45 to buy the app um, and then there is um, a little smartphone case that you can get with a tiny tube so it does get physical um, and it's got a little micro fluidic, fluidic chip um, and you do what you need to do with that and then you pop it back into the case and then once those two technologies with the app and that are combined, you can essentially see your sperm. 
I really like it, so ha-ha-ha and all of that kind of thing, but issues around fertility, male fertility and all of that kind of thing are always really tough. Um, and I think if you can do this kind of thing at home rather than having to go into a sort of more sterile medical kind of environment, it removes a little bit of the stigma and a bit of the taboo around it and hopefully it will make men feel sort of more comfortable talking about that kind of thing. It, it is it is kind of cool. The, the only downside, uh, well, there are two downsides, uh, firstly, it only counts the the number and um, motility. Motility. There's a word. Motility. Sperm motility. It's a good word. But it doesn't look closely and go. Mm, that's a bit funky looking. So it doesn't it doesn't grade them on 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 their appearance, which apparently is very good. You have a very very important thing. You've got to have good looking sperm. Um, this next uh, site is is my other side of the week, I guess. And I'm all about discovery. I, I don't like um, I don't like always listening to the things I've always listened to, or reading the things I've always read. And this website it's called Audible Women, um, AudibleWomen.com is all about surfacing. There's another word, surfacing female artists, um, you know, musical artists that you've you've never heard of and might not otherwise hear of. So it's 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 best approached randomly. I did that, and this is what I found. I did music at school, so that doesn't did, sound kind I, of... I did music at school. Well, it doesn't sound, like, massively unfamiliar because we listen to a whole lot of, like, quite contemporary classical music. Yes, um, yes. But that's a really cool idea. Like, I like the idea of kind of, I guess, curating stuff into a place which makes it much easier for people to find. Because I'm not going to find that on my Spotify playlist. Not You're really. Not, probably not. Not really. No. And it's it's not going to be in the New Zealand, you know, top 40, whatever that actually is. Audible Women, audiblewomen.com will find you all sorts of stuff like that. And, of course, you know, if you, if you go, grow tired, grow tired of things like that, you can always go back to radio.garden, which, oh, I love. I love that Radio Dot Garden. Audible, audible lady with the strange flute. I love you too, but uh, Radio Garden, I, I I love you a whole lot more. Hey, uh, dictionaries, dictionaries, dictionaries. Do you do you love dictionaries? You're, you're you're quite the writer. Do you have a collection of dictionaries at home? No, I don't. Really? No, because I just use the internet. Oh, oh, but you must you know for old. old you can't smell the internet. No. Oh, that old dictionary smell. No. Mm, mm, I, I have many dictionaries. I've many. I've, I'm sound. I'm sound like that guy. What's I'm, you are. Yeah, I am that guy. <laughs> I, I have. I've many leather-bound books, and my library smells of rich mahogany. Um, this dictionary, though, is well. You'll like it because it's online. Mm, it's dictionary 2.0, um, but it's also focusing on technology. So far, so good. Mm, pretty, pretty boring though. But it's all about analogy, which I think is neat. It's perfect, as I said before when we were talking about it. Uh, this is great for people trying to teach their parents about technology. Uh, well, well I, yeah, you, you, you went straight to your parents. Um, I go straight to, you know, um, chief executives and chief marketing officers and chief financial officers. I, I go to board members, I think, rather than necessarily parents. I think that's, that's the big technology gap. And this, this, this dictionary is really cool. So it, it has examples like... Or they always start with, it's like, 
um, and, and cookie. I quite like the cookie one because we've all been on websites and the website says, you know, accept cookies. Yes, no, right? And, and, and we go, oh, it's, it's some security thing. It's, a, it's about identity. Oh, it's about giving you a consistent user experience if you visit the website again. There's privacy involved somehow because they're warning me. So what what is it? I don't get it. So what do they what are they, how do they define cookie? I really like it. They say it's like a barista with a good memory. So when you come in and order your decaf soy latte with an extra shot and cream, they nod wearily and say the usual. Which I think is quite cool. Oh, I think it's Which a I great think is quite analogy. Cool. So so that's and that is exactly what a cookie is like. It's it's oh Anna, well I'll give you the the stuff, the experience. I won't make you log in or whatever it is on this website again because you accepted my cookie. Um, firewall. It's like a nightclub bouncer who decides who's going in and out from time to time. The approved guest list may change, but the bouncer is always the one who enforces it. Which I, I think is pretty good. It's very good. So this is, um, the, the website is called sidewaysdictionary.com. The, the only downside is it's only got, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 really popular definitions. It's really early. So you can suggest something for them to define or you can suggest a new definition to something that exists as well. Yeah, and I think, look, for those of us who are talking to our executives or our parents, it was a very similar conversation. Please, for the love of God, get in there and give us some more definitions. What I was was really hoping it would do is give me a really good, rock-solid takeaway definition of blockchain. and it said, it's like the minutes at a town hall meeting written by two very accurate people. Both writers take down exactly... Oh, I got bored. So, um, yeah, I kind of didn't get... I didn't think that one was good I didn't good think it was good ones. either, but uh, have another crack at blockchain. Hey, it's been a cracker of a show. Thank you so much, Anna Connell from BNZ, for joining me yet again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mike Schubert from <gasps> Big Breath, Minter Ellison, Rudd Watts, and, of course, Braden Leggett in the booth. Munching on the chips. We finally had chips. Hey, stick around for Graham and the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Bourne Davis. I will talk to you next week. Nighty night.